Welcome to the Blood Cancer Experience, a podcast series presented by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada. This series connects people affected by blood cancers to their community with stories of hope, healing, and help. Hi, I'm George Athens, your host for this ongoing series of podcasts presented by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada. Today, we are speaking with Valerie Fissette and Tara Cohen from the Champlain Hospice Palliative Care Program at the St. Vincent Hospital in Ottawa. The subject is communication of palliative care for loved ones. So thanks for joining us today. Um, First of all, could you tell us a bit about yourselves and your work for the Champlain Hospice? Sure, my name is Valerie Fissett. I'm the director of the Champlain Hospice Palliative Care Program. I have a nursing background and I started in this role about six months ago. So the Champlain Hospice Palliative Care Program, our mission is to engage people in palliative care so that they feel seen, heard, supported and connected. So we do a lot of work around education and capacity building um, around palliative care with providers across the Champlain region and beyond. Tara? My name is Tara Cohen. I'm a social worker by training and I work as the program manager at the Champlain Hospice Palliative Care Program. And I would say the bulk of the work that I do is working across sectors. So in hospital, hospice, long-term care and community working with healthcare teams to improve palliative and end-of-life care. So what are the most important things to know about palliative uh, approach to care? Yeah, so the palliative approach to care is a relatively new term. Um, It's been used in the last 10 years as as an alternative to the the term palliative care, which was more broadly used um, until more recently. So palliative approach to care speaks more as um, a way of broadening palliative care. So the approach really has five main things that are important. We look at quality of life of a person who's been diagnosed with a chronic life-limiting illness. The palliative approach looks at things holistically. So a person from a variety of different perspectives, emotional, spiritual, social, psychological, A palliative approach to care also, uh, one of the important factors is the earlier we can integrate the principles of a palliative approach, the better. We also look at a palliative approach being offered as a larger team. So it's not just doctors or nurses who are able to care for people using a palliative approach. It really is a greater team effort to make sure a person is cared for in the uh, the most robust way. And finally, a palliative approach to care is really person-centered. So it's really meeting a person where they're at. It's really about what's important to them and really um, using those ideas to help give them the best quality of life. Well, thanks. You covered a lot of ground there. So what is the difference between palliative approach and end of uh, life care, for example? Um, Yeah, so that's a great question. And I think... You know, um, when when we talked about palliative care in the past, and I think this is a bit of the reason with the shift in terminology, um, palliative care, people would immediately go to end of life care. And we're trying to make that distinction that a palliative approach care, you know, as Tara said in her kind of definition, it's about, it's for anybody who's living with a life-threatening illness. 
not necessarily somebody who is at the end of life. So what we want to try to spread the word is for people to think about a palliative approach to care can be relevant right from the beginning of a diagnosis of illness. And people may go through treatments and, you know, the focus is very much on active treatment, but at the same time, that palliative approach to care can be used. That said, you know, when it comes time and um, treatments are no longer effective to cure an illness, then we may be looking at that palliative approach taking on a greater part of the approach to care and thinking about end of life care, which is really more in the last, you know, months, weeks, days of life is where we think about end of life care coming into play. Those same principles that Tara talked about are relevant at the end of life as well, but we're trying to make that difference of a palliative approach is relevant for anybody living with a life-threatening illness with unmet needs, and that end-of-life care is more uh, closer to uh, the time of death. When is a person deemed palliative? So based on what we've just shared, we would say that a a person is never deemed palliative. That's kind of consistent with the language that was used previously, that someone would be going along in their illness trajectory, and then suddenly the healthcare team would deem them palliative. And then that would feel like that's the end of life. So within the palliative approach to care, that's not the language that's being used anymore. The A person is not deemed palliative, the approach to care is palliative. So again, like what we're really trying to reinforce why this is super important to us is that what we're hoping as individuals living with illness and their families hear the term palliative, they shift their perspective from being afraid or worried that they're coming to end of life and they start to um, have a more positive reaction to palliative, that they feel like palliative care is something that's going to support their well-being, it's going to support quality of life, it's something that's going to help them live better each day up until those final days. Where is palliative care provided? Well, so based on what we've talked about with the palliative approach, it's pretty broad. And so certainly kind of one of our, our, our jobs at the Champlain Hospice Palliative Care Program is to help providers in all settings feel confident in delivering that palliative approach to care. So, you know, wherever people receive healthcare, um, is where palliative care can be delivered. Um, certainly acute care hospitals, long-term care homes, retirement homes, anywhere that the person calls home. So that could be home care, retirement home, or long-term care. Um, primary care providers, so family, uh, family physicians, nurse practitioners, family health teams, they also deliver uh, palliative care. A big um, provider is uh, home and community care support services in Ontario. That used to be the Lynn and then uh, previously the CCAC, but that's home and community care support services. So palliative care can be delivered in the home. When we think more about um, all the other organizations are hospices. And so hospices can offer community-based services such as volunteer visitors or uh, day hospice programs. Um, and then some hospices also have residential beds for care at the end of life. And when we talk about care at the end of life, again, people may die in a hospice, they may die in a hospital, long-term care home, or uh, a home setting. 
So how do you suggest people go about talking with their loved ones um, about their values, wishes, beliefs, and how they relate to their health care decisions? Yeah, I, I think where we start with that is it's all about the conversations. The conversations are so helpful and meaningful as people are working their way through an illness, illness and wellness trajectory. Um, and especially as they move closer to dying. So we encourage conversations and we know sometimes that could be really difficult with families. People have different starting points for how they feel about having conversations about illness and what they want. So I would say the first thing is reframing, reframing what we typically think of as difficult conversations as to reframing into something a lot more positive. These conversations are contributing to, um, to families going through this, um, hopefully being able to be open and to share with one another, and that makes the journey a little bit um, a little bit better. So we encourage people to talk about their values, what's important to them, the person experiencing illness, and others might, you know, other people in the family or people caring for someone going through an illness might want to discuss what's important to them. Um, wishes and goals, what's important to a person as they progress, what what are the, the pieces of themselves that makes them uniquely them that they want to hold on to. So we hear a lot about discussions about independence and dignity, and those are concepts we really encourage people to, like, to dive into and what gives you dignity. That means different things to different people. So sharing as openly and as concretely as possible what each of these concepts mean and then ultimately, we know that we can't envision every single decision and every single um, every single circumstance that may arise in an illness. So when we talk about thinking about yourself as a human being and some healthcare decisions that might come up, what we encourage is instead of thinking about particulars, thinking more broadly, what are some of the trade-offs? What are some of the things that you absolutely need to have to feel like you and what are some of the trade-offs you're willing to make so sometimes we hear people talking about um you know pain they might not want they may not be comfortable experiencing high levels of pain but they do want to be aware you know as their illness progress progresses and things are getting closer to the end that they want to be able to to manage their pain enough but still be alert to be able to be present with their families and friends and have conversations so so again, having conversations, that's the starting point, right? So um, just digging in, digging in and not being afraid for everyone to share their own unique perspectives. And again, really reflecting on what makes them them and what that looks like throughout the illness trajectory. Well, just quickly, as we wrap it up here, how do you get the this conversation, this big conversation started? So, you know, I was just going to say this is a, you know, quite common that we hear that um, patients and family members might have kind of different opinions about things. And the conversations aren't easy. I think that, you know, Tara mentioned that because people are feeling sad, they're feeling angry. There's often very difficult emotions that underlie um, these conversations. And, you know, I, as the person with cancer, might not want to upset my family member and make them cry or make them angry when I say, I've decided I don't want to have any more treatment. Um, so I think, you know, again, going back to what's most important to people and putting that on the table 
in a respectful way, recognizing that difficult emotions are going to happen. And that's completely normal. People are going to cry. People might yell. It might be very difficult, but that they're really important conversations to have. Um, I'm not sure. I hope I answered your question there, George, but I think that idea of, you know, people are going to have different values and beliefs around the different treatment options. And, you know, another suggestion is, is when these disagreements happen is to engage people from the healthcare team. Um, you know, healthcare providers have often encounter difficult decisions like what patients and families are facing. And so talking with a, a physician, a nurse, a social worker, a spiritual care provider, a volunteer, um, talking with those people and getting their opinions or getting their advice about how to best kind of navigate those conversations with um, patients and families can be helpful as well. Well, perfect. Um, I think we'll wrap it up there. And uh, I want to thank you, Valerie and Tara, um, for adding a more human and uh, compassionate sort of um, approach to this subject and conversation. Really appreciate you being our guest today. Thanks so much. If listeners have any questions about this podcast or the subject discussed today, or need any support or resources to navigate your experience, I encourage you to connect with a community services lead in your region. For more information, visit bloodcancers.ca. If you liked our podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can find us wherever you access your favorite podcasts. We also welcome any ideas for our program, so we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email with your suggestions or comments at info at bloodcancers.ca. Until next time, stay well and stay connected. Thank you for listening to The Blood Cancer Experience, a series of podcasts presented by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada. We are committed to supporting the blood cancer community through programs, services, and research. This podcast is presented by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada.